0: Hey everyone, Tom here. So great to be with you again today. Welcome back to our HTB podcasts. Maybe it's your first time, just want to say a huge welcome. And as always, if you've got any questions, do let us know via our website, htb.org forward slash online. I am so excited to introduce this week's speaker, great friend and global youth director of Alpha International, the one and only Dan Blythe.
1: Hello, everybody. It is such an honor to share here today. I say that because this is home for us. Grateful for the leadership, for the team, for all the volunteers who pray and prepare. Especially grateful for the kids team. When we drop off our two boys there, we call it happy hour. Because they are happy and we are happy. Why well, don't just go ahead and put your hands together and just thank all the team, all the volunteers. So grateful for them. As Archie said, I'm the global youth director for Alpha, which sounds a bit bougie because it's got the word global in it. But really, I've just got the privilege of listening to church leaders, youth leaders, and young people across the globe to make sure we create content which has a culture which enables young people to have healthy conversations about faith, life, meaning, and purpose. And I love my job. One of the kind of strap lines for Alpha is, Alpha is for everyone. And I don't know if you've ever heard that or seen that before, yeah, but is it though? Is it for them or is it for that type of people, that group of people? Is it for this person in my work? I'm, I'm not sure. Alpha for everyone is not something we came up with. It's biblical. In Mark 16 verses 15, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. It doesn't just say the elite or the intelligent or the good or the people who've got it all together. He said, it is for all. Then in Isaiah 52, verses 7, it says, How beautiful is the sight of messengers with good news. How beautiful is it to see them coming down the mountain with a message of peace. So this good news is a message of peace. And when we share it with our family, with our friends, and with total strangers, it is something that is beautiful, attractive, and stunning. Then in Matthew 28, verses 19, a piece of scripture called the Great Commission where pretty much Jesus gets his disciples together, speaking to us and saying, This message of faith, hope, and love is not meant to be boxed or contained. No, it's meant to be unboxed and released. So go. He says, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptize in them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them, my, teach them my commands, and know I'll be with you to the end of days. So this message is for everyone. It's attractive. And when we share it with people, Jesus doesn't send us out on a solo mission. No, he is right there with us. I love those scriptures. But if I'm honest with you, over the last 20 years that I've been a Christian, there's been many times when I haven't invited others. I haven't shared with others. I haven't told others. I haven't shared with others the grace and the love and the mercy that I have received. And it's because of fear. Today, I want to share a message with you called Unfear unfear. Last night at 10pm in bed, I was sitting next to my wife. and She goes, babe, babe, what are you talking about tomorrow? I went, oh, um, I've called it unfear. She's like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, no, unfear, like unlearn fear, undo fear, fearless, you know, you know, faith more. She's like, nah, it's not going to work. I'm like, well, I've sent it to the team already, so I'm just going to go with it. So here we go. Unfear. It all started for me when I was eight years old. My mom and dad got divorced. My dad was a strict atheist, and my mom had a Catholic upbringing. She had a faith, but Jesus wasn't really talked about in our household. And then when they got divorced, they separately encountered Jesus. And they encountered Jesus in a way where I couldn't deny they encountered Jesus. Like, they were different people. They had this joy, like my mom would be singing and dancing around the kitchen, like, I found Jesus. And me and my brothers just standing there going... Yeah, well, I mean, she's had some encounter. We don't know really what's going on, but we can't deny that she's changed. And my dad, who was always, I guess, trying to get a sense of purpose from his work, had a sense of purpose from his relationship with God. And so I could not deny that what I saw was real. But as I became a teenager, all I heard was the rules and religion and regulations. Don't do this and don't do that. All the thou shalt shall nots rather than the thou shalt. And I just could not live under this expectation to behave like a Christian when I wasn't one. I knew about Jesus, but I didn't know him. So at age 18, I got all my birthday money together and I flew to paradise, Australia. I grew up watching neighbors and homing and away and I don't know, it just looked warm. <laughs> and when I got there, we were staying with some family friends, a six-year-old couple, so sweet, but they happened to be caretakers of a church. And they said, look, you need to make some friends other than us. They're playing touch football down there. So I went down, introduced myself, and I was known as the English lad living on this church property. And they invited me out. They invited me boxing, surfing. They invited me to watch the Rugby World Cup where England won. Yes, Johnny Wilkinson, that was a moment. And then they invited me to a small group, a connect group, where they discussed faith and life and meaning and purpose. And everything they had said, I'd kind of heard before. It wasn't new to me. But it just hit different. It just came alive. And then they said, do you want to come to church on Sunday And I, I said, yeah. See, the thing is, I live for the weekend. They live for something much greater. I live for the moment. They live for significance. I got my happiness from material things and substances. They had this, like, joy on tap, which came from an inner place where they experienced peace. And when I asked them, why would you live the way you live? They just said, Jesus. I knew then I wanted to experience what they had experienced. So at age 18, I said, God... I do think that you're real, but I don't think that you would ever forgive me for my sins and my stuff up and and my mess ups. And I said, if you're real, reveal yourself to me. And in that moment, i encountered a grace and a love and a freedom that I can't really explain. But that moment changed my life. A week later, I go to work. I was a waiter in a nice restaurant on the waterfront in Sydney. I even served Prince Harry chicken goujons once. I know what you're thinking. Connected. Yes. (laughs) But I wanted to invite all the staff. I wanted to share my faith with them. I wanted to tell them what happened to me. And every time I went to have a conversation, it was like I was on mute. Fear gripped me. Fear got a hold of me. And over the last 20 years, Jesus has taken me on a journey to help me overcome fear. Fear is a learned trait. We learn it from our parents, our role models, and our bad experiences. So fear is a learned trait. That means we can unlearn it. And I figure the best way we can do that is by looking at how Jesus faced his fear. And I think maybe there's some of you sitting here going, well, Dan, if Jesus was God, then surely he doesn't have fear. And I say, welcome to the conversation. Many theologians have debated this for hundreds of years. Did Jesus have fear? I'd agree with the majority of them that he didn't have fear like we have fear. He did not fear people like we fear people. He did not fear humanity like we, we fear humanity. But I do think he faced fear. When I read in Mark 14, verses 32, Jesus has always been aware that he was going to die, but he becomes closer and closer to that moment. See, Jesus knows he's going to go to the cross, and upon the cross, he's going to take our sin, our shame, and our guilt, and he's going to die, and then he's going to rise again so we can experience grace, love, mercy, and freedom. And if everything I just said right now is really like complex, or you've never heard that before, come to Alpha on Wednesday, because we have a full conversation, not in rows, but in a circle, so we can really unpack what that means. But Jesus is aware that he's going to die, and he has been, but in this moment, it becomes very real to him. It says this in Mark 14, verses 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. I don't know what fear is like for you. I don't know how you would describe fear. But when I read that, I think Jesus felt fear in this moment. He is deeply distressed and troubled. His soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus is facing fear. But what did Jesus do? He chose to face his fear. How do we know that? Because he went to the cross. It is at this point when fear could have caused him to say, I'm out. Sorry, I was just exaggerating it. Not really the son of God. See Got out of it. He could have gone into the desert, changed his identity, gone undercover. Like fear could have got hold of him. Fear could have won and he could have run away. But he didn't. He went to the cross. Jesus faced fear. How did he face fear? Why did he face fear? Because of Love. Love. Because of his love for humanity, because of his love for you and me, Jesus chose to face fear and go to the cross. Love is the antidote to fear. And everything changes when you love people more than you fear people. Love is the antidote to fear. Now, I'm not talking about human love. I love human love. But human love will come and go. Human love will start and stop. Human love is based on behavior and performance and feelings. But his love remains the same for you, whether you love him back or not. Because God did not make love. He did not create love. He did not form love. He is love. And 1 John 4, verses 18 says, perfect love casts out all fear. Not occasional fear, not some fear, but all fear. So the antidote is love, and love is his presence. You see, the world will say, if you want to overcome fear, try exposure therapy. Just slowly, step by step, expose yourself to the thing that's causing you fear. Then you will learn to overcome it. And I say yes to exposure therapy. But first try exposing yourself to God's presence therapy. Expose yourself to His love therapy. Because one moment in the presence of God can eradicate a lifetime of fear. See, what happens is as you spend time in His presence and encounter His love, you understand your worth and your value. And as you start to understand the love from your Heavenly Father, your heart starts to break for what breaks His heart. And do you know what breaks His heart? Humanity, brokenness. And so, as you spend time in His presence, you start to love people. You start to want to overcome your fear, to help people, to share with people, and to encourage people. Love is the antidote to fear. Not human love, but God's love. God's love is patient and kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, is not proud does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs, does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth, always trusts, always hopes, always protects, um, always perseveres, and never fails. You might have experienced human love, and human love is great, but human love can fail, but his love never can, and it's in his presence where we experience his love, where love conquers fear. There's a seven-story building that was on fire. The firefighters were there putting out all the flames. And then on the seventh floor, they hear their screaming. It is a young child. The firefighters prepare to go in. Then all of a sudden, this woman pushes them out of the way, runs through the front door and up the stairs. Next thing they know on the seventh floor, there's a shout. It's this lady, this woman, and it happens to be the mother. She says, I've got my child. We're coming down. I'm jumping. The firefighters put out their big inflatable. The mother and child jump off and land to safety. The mother was fearful of the flames. The mother was afraid of pain. The mother did fear death. But in that moment, love conquered fear. Because of her love for her daughter, she faced her fear and in doing so rescued her daughter. Love is greater than fear. Love is stronger than fear. Love is more persistent than fear, more consistent than fear. Love has more endurance than fear. Love is more, in, more liberating than fear. Love is greater than fear. Love is more transformative than fear. And I wonder if today, if maybe we just thr- rush through life without really spending enough time waiting on God, experience his love so that we can go out into this world which is full of hate and full of fear and be the light in the city. So let's address some fears today. Anyone got fear of sharks? Give me a wave. Anyone got fear of snakes? Anyone got fear of spiders? Anyone got fear of clowns? Yeah, all right, all right. We're not going to address those fears today because they're phobias and they're survival mechanisms and we need those because sharks can kill you. Spiders can kill you. Snakes can kill you. And clowns, they can kill you. (laughs) So we're not going to address those today. But there are some social fears. There are some fears that stop us from living out the Great Commission, from going when God says go, from sharing when God says share. And there's three in particular that we want to look at today so we can pray for them today. The first one is the fear of ridicule. This is where you fear what people might say about you, to your face or behind your back. This is where you fear what people might even think about you. And what I've realized often in life is that the people who have the fear of ridicule the most are often people who have been ridiculed the most. And you carry that hurt and that pain. Whoever said sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me? Really? Come on, Sticks and stones will break your bones. Go to hospital, get a cast, and then just crack on. Words, on the other hand, cut you deep. Sky for life. Stop you for living the life that God has called you to live. And maybe today there's people and you've got the fear of ridicule, and it's because someone's ridiculed you, spoken words over you. Someone in your family, a friend, someone online, offline, might have even been a stranger, but for some reason, those words stuck and they've become labels. Let me just encourage you that only the Creator can label their created. Labels are good. I've got medicine at home. And on the, on the medicine, it tells me what's in it and how often I can take it. I'm grateful for that label. But it's not a random person who's put that label on there. No, it was the creator that made that medicine. In the same way, no random human being has the authority or responsibility to speak words over you that label you. Only your heavenly father does. Because he is the creator of us. In Psalm 139, it says, We are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says in Ephesians 2 that you are his masterpiece. It says in John 3.16 that for God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. If you're struggling with the fear of ridicule today, I want to encourage you as we spend some time waiting on the Holy Spirit to say, Heavenly Father, remind me who I am by your word, not by what the word says. And I believe that if you've been labeled today and those labels have stuck and those labels do not come from God, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to remove them today. Going to set you free. And you're going to go back into your sphere of influence, back into your world. And people might still ridicule you. You might go into work tomorrow, back into university, back into school. And you might get more ridiculed than you've ever had in your life. But God's going to do something so those words won't have power over your life. It's going to be like they're speaking a different language. They're saying stuff, but it's not going in here. The next one is the fear of rejection. And I wish there was a way that none of you had to face rejection I wish that my two sons, Knox and Nico, five and two, could go their whole life without getting rejected. But rejected is just, rejection is part of life. Get rejected when you go for the job, when you go for the promotion, try and get that accommodation, ask that special somebody out. There's always going to be rejection. But just because we get rejected doesn't mean we need to live with the fear of rejection. Because we can know that we've been accepted. Romans 5 verses 8 says, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means he knows everything we've ever said, thought, and done. Past, present, and future. And yet he still loves us. He still accepts us. So out of that revelation, knowing that we've been accepted and that we are loved, can we live our life knowing we will face ridicule? We will face rejection. But that's not going to define us. And the third and final one is failure. Maybe you're here today and you've got the fear of failure. If you want to know whether you do or not, you tend to live within your comfort zone. You rarely take risks and you always drop down excuses. I couldn't do that. Oh, I couldn't go there. I couldn't start that. I couldn't share with that one. Oh, I couldn't invite with that person. Always drop in excuses. Often we have the fear of failure because we failed at some point in our life and we still carry that hurt and that pain. About seven years ago, I failed pretty badly. I was speaking on a Sunday service like this and I was really excited about what I was speaking about. And as I was walking backwards, there was a guitar pedal, just like this one. And as I was walking backwards, I tripped over the guitar pedal. And I don't mean a little, like, whoa, like, I I went over, like, right over. And I tried to laugh it off, but the whole congregation just burst out in hysterics, like, loud. And I I was like, ha, And then carried on, but they kept laughing, and then literally, like, they just kept laughing. I'm like, wow, you guys are finding that really funny. (laughs) Tried to bring it back into the Word, but... Every now and again, someone would just like burst out in laughter again. It was so humiliating. I said, let's just keep this between us, yeah? Let's just not tell anybody else. And then after the service, I'm having a cup of tea with the pastor. I'm like, that was so embarrassing. I'm so humiliated. I better call my wife and tell her. He said, oh, no, you don't need to call and tell her. She's probably already aware because look, look at my Instagram. (laughs) His video team, who are very quick and creative, I have to say, have got that footage, put music and graphics to it, and, and he's put it on his Instagram without even asking me for consent. Do you want to see that video? Oh, I thought the day was a kind service. They always say, oh, okay, okay. All right, have a quick look. There we go. That was my epic fail. <laughs> now, i show you that for a reason. I don't know why, but in the moment, I was so humiliated, so embarrassed, so fearful. Um, I had like, all the different feelings going on. And I just, just said to the pastor, I'm like, can you send me that video? Can you airdrop it to me? He's like, sure. He airdrops it to me. And I just decided to own my failure. I just put it on my own Instagram and put it out for my little world to see. And I don't know why, but the moment I did that, something changed. It's like the fear disappeared, the, the, the worry, the anxiety, the embarrassment, the humiliation just lifted off me. And I decided, like, it was just funny. Like, I owned my failure. Everything changed. Now, don't get me wrong. I've learned from my failure. Like, every time I get up on every platform, I'm like, yep, guitar pedal, okay, social distancing right now. Like, like I've learned, I've learned from my failure. But I'm not going to live in my failure. I'm not going to stop doing what I feel God has called me to do. And I say this because we fail many times, day after day, and failure is normal. Failure is just part of life. But aren't we grateful for Romans 28 verses 8? Romans 8 verse 28, it says, God turns all things around for good for those that love the Lord. Our failure is just part of life. And God turns it around for His goodness and His glory. If there was anyone in the world who is not meant to fear failure, it is us Christians. Because no matter how much we fail, our failure is not part of our identity. And maybe you have attached your failure to your identity. You got divorced, so you're a divorcee. You were an addict, so you're an addict. You're unemployed, so you're unemployed now. That's your, that's your title, that's your identity. No, no, Nowhere in the Bible does it say your failure is your identity. Now It says we are a new creation in Christ. And because He is victorious, we are victorious. And because He is triumphant, we are triumphant. And because He is more than a conqueror, we are more than conquerors. And if you have failed, I want to encourage you today to go again. Just because you failed does not mean you are a failure. It means that you had a go. And I want to encourage you today, whatever that looks like for you, to go again. And when you fail, own that failure. Give it to God and watch what He does with it. So right now, we're just going to pray going to wait for the Holy Spirit to do what only the Holy Spirit can do and as I was speaking there might have been different things that God was saying to you and I just wonder if there's anyone in the room who've got one of those three fears fear of failure fear of rejection and fear of ridicule and it's my heart and my hope that you leave this place today not carrying those heavy weights but you can let them go by giving them to God see as soon as you surrender you give him access Surrender your character. You give him access into your character. Surrender your leadership. Give him access into your leadership. Surrender your life. Give him access into your life. But surrender your fear. Gives him access into your fear. So whether you're at home watching this or whether you're in the room, why don't we just wait on the Holy Spirit as um, Catherine and Archie come and join me. And we're just going to wait for a moment.
0: What a great encouragement from Dan Blythe and If we can pray for you in any way this week, why don't you send an email to the prayer team? It's prayer at htb.org or go to the website htb.org forward slash prayer and there's a way there you could submit a prayer request. We'd love to pray for you and we'll do that when you send your message across. I'd love to invite you also to join us at Alpha. Alpha runs in the morning and the evening each Wednesday. And we're doing an Alpha course online too. So whatever the best way is for you to join us at Alpha, we'd love to see you there. There's loads more information and a place to register over on the website, hdb.org forward slash Alpha. I can't wait to see you there on Wednesday. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you again next week. Don't forget if this message has encouraged you, why not share it with a mate?